Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. (laughs) That's not a knife. G'day and welcome to Not a Knife, the podcast that is all about culture, unity, reviews and banter. My name is Andrew, and this show is proudly part of the Ozcast Network. It is also recorded on the lands of the Wajak people of Perth region, and I want to pay respects to their elders both past and present. So what can you expect from Not A Knife? Well, as I mentioned before, culture, unity, reviews, and banter. What do I mean by that? Well, on my preview show, AB Film Review and The Last New Wave, I focus solely on cinema, and... While this show will have a keen focus on cinema, and particularly Australian cinema, I also want to embrace other aspects of culture in Australia. So specifically, I want to look at music, gaming, uh, really anything of value in Australia that, that is worth shining a light on. And on top of that, I want to discuss these things with the people who create them. I want to interview them. So... Really, I just want to sit down and engage with the country that I live in. And I also want to share that opportunity with other people as well, particularly underrepresented voices. So with the new website, which is coming on the 1st of July, thecurb.com.au, that is C-U-R-B, that particular website is going to still focus on films, but it's also going to be a platform for other things as well. In particular, I want to be able to provide a platform for Indigenous voices in Australia. Because from my perspective at least, and I say this as a white male, uh, which you know there is a real shortage of those in uh, in media uh, around Australia, uh, I am a little bit sick and tired of hearing from white males, and I want to hear from Indigenous Australians about Australian films, about international films. In particular, I want to hear about Indigenous filmmakers and and Indigenous singers as well. They're voices that I'm really interested in. And so if you are an Indigenous person and want to share your voice, please send me an email at thecurbau at gmail.com and hit me up on Facebook or on Twitter, thecurbau. Really appreciate it and, you know, that's something that I really want this particular podcast and the website, thecurb.com.au, to be an avenue for that to occur. Even if you're not part of the Indigenous community, I still want to hear from you. So do hit me up on Facebook or Twitter or send me an email. And if you're somebody who wants to write about these things that I'm talking about, then please, yes, hit me up. Let me know. I I would love to read what you have to say and I would love to be able to provide an avenue for different voices to be shared. So with that out of the way, what will I be discussing on this very first episode of Not A Knife? Well, the films Hereditary, Edie and Tully. And I'll also be replaying an interview that I did for The Last New Wave with director Warwick Thornton 
about his film Sweet Country, which is now out on streaming as well as hitting Blu-ray and DVD very, very soon. I'll also give you a rundown of what my favourite films of 2018 are so far. And finally, I'll wrap up with a bit of a coverage of a singer who I really, really like, who has a new song out, which is really fantastic. And that is Kira Peru. And I'll be talking about her a little bit later on. Let's hear the trailer for Hereditary. You okay, Mo? Is there something you want to say? Why would I want to say something so I could watch you sneer at me? I don't ever sneer at you. Oh, sweetie, you don't have to. You get your point across. And say what you want to say then. Okay, Dad. I tried. Try again and release yourself. Stop. Just say it. Don't you ever raise your voice at me. I am your mother. All I do is worry, and all I get back is that face on your face. So full of disdain and resentment and always so annoyed. Nobody admits anything they've done! Um, sorry. I know it's irrational. Hereditary is the feature-length debut of writer-director Ari Aster. And if you paid attention to reviews or anything like that running around at the moment, you'll know that Hereditary has already gained quite a reputation as being a terrifying film. And for about three quarters of the way, it is. What is the plot of Hereditary? Well, it's best going in not knowing a heck of a lot. But the basic idea that you need to know about Hereditary is that there is a mother, a father, two kids, and they're grieving the loss of their grandmother. That's really about it. And on some level, Hereditary is a film about grief. It is a film that explores what it means to grieve, what it means to go through a mourning process. And it also looks at what death is and how we as people deal with death. Now, understandably, the deaths that occur in Hereditary and the events that occur in Hereditary are maybe a little bit more extreme than your run-of-the-mill day-to-day life. You know, basically, people aren't going to be uh, having uh, the kinds of deaths that occur here in Hereditary occurring to them on a daily basis. However, the passing of people by a heart attack or stroke or something like that, unfortunately, that is part of day-to-day life and is something that we have to deal with. Hereditary takes all of that, that kind of grief, that mourning a step further and really, really ratchets it up to a level that is almost unbearable at times. Uh, This is not going to be a crowd-pleasing film at all in the way that your other horror films, modern horror films are. The Get Out kind of film. Now, Get Out is a great film. It really is. But it also has a social aspect to it that, you know, it has the humor, the comedy in it that that is there that alleviates the tension. Hereditary is relentless in its terror. It's relentless in its horror. And that's partly due to the uh, cinematography by Paul Pogorzelski. I apologize for screwing up the name, but... He's done a fantastic job here, and this film looks 
stunning. There is the score by Colin Stetson, who I'm not really that familiar with. And, you know, according to IMDb, has done some work on the rover, Rust and Bone, and 12 Years a Slave. Um, but this is the first real score or composed soundtrack for a film that I've actually known and, you know, gone, I really need to recognize who this person is. It's an omnipresent score and it lingers around the edges of the, the frames in a way that many other modern scores for horror films don't usually do. Now, the performances are really, really great. Toni Collette, again, delivering a really stunning performance. I think she is one of the great actresses and certainly one of the best actresses to come out of Australia, that's for sure. Millie Shapiro, in her feature film debut, does a really, really impressive amount of work with a short period of time. I think she is a really, really interesting actress and somebody that I am keen to see more of. But I do fear that because of her unique facial features, that she's going to become typecast in this kind of role or typecast as the ugly person. And you know, I hope that we can move past that. I hope that we can really, really challenge what it means to be a normal-looking person in film because she's got great screen presence. Alex Wolfe is also really superb as her brother, and I really enjoy where, where his character goes and what he does with his character as well. He really, really embodies avenues that grief takes you down in a really interesting way and i really appreciate his performance surprisingly underused and undervalued is gabriel byrne as steve who is the husband in the piece and to me he feels a bit like the traditional uh, thankless wife role here he really just exists on the periphery just to be there and that's fine that's okay you know he is such a good actor that he does still elevate that poorly written character into a positive realm however i kind of wish there was a little bit more from him especially given that tony collette's annie the mother figure is given so much to do and even if they're the things that she's given to do are kind of just set dressing in some ways so for example what i mean is that she is a designer of these little tableaus these little boxes that showcase a slice of her own life whether it be uh, an image like of her mother dying in a hospital room so there is this figure of this body in a hospital bed and she's made this this tableau of it this little diorama of her mother in a bed and it's for an art show that is coming up and to me, that does look interesting. And certainly the film opens on a really, really fascinating shot where we're zooming in on one of these dioramas and then it transitions to real life. And that's an interesting shot. It really is. But to me, it feels like the concept was, okay, we're going to open with this great shot of this diorama and then push in and then it's going to look really, really creepy. And it does, but it never actually informs the story all that much. I'm sure that somebody down the line is going to write a uh, in-depth analysis of why the dioramas are there in the film. And certainly, without going into spoilers, I could theorize, uh, you know, some ideas of of why they're in there. But unfortunately, to me, it feels just a touch like somebody who is the first time director wanting to do something or put something in place just to make it feel that little bit of extra creepiness there and without 
fully understanding why they've put it in there. And I think that's the problem with Hereditary. Again, as I said before, it's three quarters of a great film. But the last act, which is where all of the explanation comes forward, I think that kind of brings the film down a little bit. And so what I mean is that with a horror film or a thriller, you're spending there, you know, expecting all these these balls in the air that are there to simply frighten you and be make you uneasy and unsure and, and daunted, you know, really, really off-put, basically. So you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, I wonder how this is going to end up. I wonder how it's going to end up. And unfortunately for this viewer, me... I gathered about halfway through where it was going to end up. And that's mostly because I've seen other films do similar things and better. And so it's a little bit of a disappointment in that regards. It is still a great film. It feels like it's very entry level. And that's not a slight against it, but it's more the fact that, well, you know, I guess if you're a seasoned horror fan you've probably seen other films that have done this kind of thing and done it better. In particular, you know, one of the things that I want to be able to do with this particular podcast is that when I'm talking about movies is to recommend a film that is similar to the one that I've just reviewed. So the film that I would recommend if you like Hereditary or didn't like Hereditary, I still recommend going out and seeing A Dark Song, which from my understanding is on uh, Netflix all around the world, so you have it available if you have a Netflix account. It's a really, really superb two-hander horror film that came out last year from the UK. Really, really powerful stuff, and it does kind of touch on the same boundaries as Hereditary does, but I feel that the mythology that A Dark Song has is built up a lot better than the mythology that Hereditary builds up in its own running time. I give this four stars. I think it's a really, really interesting film. It's a solid film. And a lot like The Witch and It Follows, uh, you know, and The Babadook as well, which are all modern horror films that are are really pushing the, the concept of modern horror into interesting ways. I'm really curious to see where these filmmakers go next. You know, I think that The Witch is a really, really fantastic film. But again, just like Hereditary, that film does have one core concept that differentiates it from other horror films in the sense that, you know, you have this this core idea that basically makes it a little bit unique or at least the filmmakers think they're making it unique, which in the case of Hereditary is where these dioramas come into it. I don't think that's always effective and... You know, that's fine. But I am curious to see where these filmmakers go next. Once they've gotten that first film out of their system, what do they push and challenge us with next? So that's Hereditary. It's out in cinemas right now. I do highly recommend going to see it with a full audience because some of those uh, tense jump scare moments or... Well, actually, there's not too many jump scares in this film. It's more about this this oozing, building tension. Uh, You know, they're worthwhile definitely experiencing with a full audience and for me there was you know there's one particular death which i almost stood up and clapped at because it's it is an all-timer and it's and the outcome of this death is really really impactful and the fact that you know we the filmmaker doesn't shy away from what we see in that death 
is really, really impressive. So I like that and I applaud that. And the challenges and the risks that he took going into some of these places are really, really impressive. So that whole sequence, and again, I won't spoil. Maybe when I do an end of year episode, I'll touch on it a bit more there. But in that sequence, I think it's one of the best horror sequences of the past few years. I think it's really, really fantastic. It's just unfortunate that the sum of all its parts doesn't add up enough. Oh, and one more thing about Hereditary as well. If sounds or noises from horror films creep you out, uh, just like if you've seen Audition and you hear somebody go to you, Kiri, Kiri, Kiri and you start to get a little bit uh, shaky in your ankles. Well, Hereditary has a perfect one for you with the sound which when you hear it in the movie and you hear it outside the movie, well... Hear that, Mum? You could do your gardening here. Nancy, I'm letting you know I'm going away for a few days. The next film that I'll be discussing is Edie, which is directed by Simon Hunter and based on a script by Elizabeth O'Halloran, which is partially based on an idea by Simon Hunter and Edward Lyndon Bell. Simon Hunter has previously directed a film, Mutant Chronicles, and this could not be further from that particular film. It stars Sheila Hancock as Edie and Kevin Guthrie as Johnny. And Edie is an octogenarian, and her husband has died. And she's at a point in her life where her daughter is going to uh, possibly put her into a retirement home and Edie rediscovering some letters that she has from her father long, long, long time ago, decides that, hey, a retirement home is not on my cards in the future. I'm going to go and climb a mountain. And so she heads off to Inverness to go and climb a mountain. And that's really about it. You know, this is a very paint-by-the-numbers story in the sense that, you know, I can guarantee that as soon as you hear the synopsis of old woman wants to climb a mountain, well, she's going to climb a mountain. And for Sheila Hancock, hats off to her, she actually climbed the mountain, which is Mount Sullivan, uh, or Sullivan, S-U-I-L-V-E-N, which is in Scotland. And, you know, hats off to her that she actually did that. It, it does make the uh, the, the climb itself a powerful part of the film it's just a real disappointment that everything else is so cookie cutter unfortunately we're given the flimsiest of reasons as to why Edie actually wants to climb the mountain and maybe I'm being a bit too harsh when I say that the flimsiest of reasons because you know they are really actually kind of good reasons but unfortunately the film actually never believes in those reasons and the reason is is that you know when her husband uh, passed away uh, Edie 
really was in a relationship that that never allowed her to be her own person. She never was able to go out and do what she wanted to do. And she comes from a generation where that kind of thing was quite common in the sense that husbands would expect their wives to stay at home and cook and do that kind of stuff. And he had a stroke 30 years ago and unfortunately she has been the sole carer for him. Now, sure, now I've explained it, it doesn't sound flimsy, but again, the film passes that off in about a one-minute line of dialogue, which is never delivered like it's an actual thing that happened, but more a, I've quickly got to say this, so I have a reason to climb this mountain. And that's what I fear about these films that are directed at particularly aging audiences, uh, that you know they just monopolize on these ideas of hey, you've wasted your life doing something else or dedicated to somebody else, so therefore you can relate to this. Now, I'm not saying that every single uh, film that is aimed at elderly people does that, but this particular one does. And that really disappoints me because it, it, it also harkens back to a film that came out earlier this year called Finding Your Feet, which does something very similar in the sense that there is an old lady, uh, elderly lady, who really, you know, has never lived her, the life that she thought that she would live, and then she gets a touch of it and really enjoys it and rediscovers who she is. And that seems to be a bit of a running theme in some regards, uh, you know, for these modern uh, films that are, are directed at a particular audience. And I find that really disappointing because these are, you know, they're people who deserve more from the films that are directed them at them. So Edie, you know, it would be forgivable if the two main characters of Edie and Johnny were well written. They're well performed. Sheila Hancock and Kevin Guthrie are fantastic. Kevin Guthrie in particular, I think that he has really, really great screen presence. I really enjoyed seeing him on screen. But his relationship in particular with his partner is just so flimsy and boring and pointless. Now the core aspect of filmmaking, or writing a script even, is that you treat every single character as equal. So even if they're only going to be on screen for 30 seconds, you write them out as a fully fleshed character. Nothing makes you recognize the value of strength in cinema, the value of good writing, the value of good direction, and the value of good acting, than watching a weak film. Because all that does is point out the deficiencies that it has when you compare it to something else that is is quite good. And the films that come to mind that do this well are films, actually, surprisingly, uh, both by Roger Mitchell, who is a great director, one of the best working British directors today. And the films that come to mind are Venus and The Mother. Now, The Mother is a really superb film about a woman who is... uh, reaching her elderly age and she has a passionate affair with a man half of her age who is played by Daniel Craig and the the woman is played by Anne Reid. It's a really beautiful, fantastic film. I highly recommend seeking it out, uh, especially for an early Daniel Craig performance. And then Venus is one of uh, Peter O'Toole's last performances. It was certainly his last Oscar nomination and that's a 
about a pair of veteran actors who who get joined up with this young teenager and that throws their life into disarray. Granted, both of these films are about people who have not really been challenged in the way that Edie has in her life, in her marriage, but they are certainly about people who are rediscovering who they are in their later years, which, you know... For all the beautiful cinematography that captures the landscapes of Scotland so well by August Jacobson, Edie just kind of falters. And, you know, the I think that's the thing about modern filmmaking is that it is kind of easy to make a film look really good. It is kind of easy to do that because, you know, digital cinematography is a lot more forgiving than film used to be. And I'm not saying that, you know, you don't require skill or talent to be able to do it. You certainly do. But there is something about making a film contextually important or contextually relevant to the text that it's actually trying to showcase or or the story that it's trying to tell. And for Edie, of all the shots of, uh, you know, leaves with dew on them and, and footprints in dirt and stuff like that, they really don't add up to much because the core story itself doesn't really give you enough to hang on. Now, for a lot of audiences, in fact, probably the target audience, this will do exactly what it should do. But the downside is, is that they're not going to think about the following day. I think that this is going to be a one watch and forget kind of film. And maybe viewers will go, well, I really should probably go to Scotland because it looks beautiful. And, you know, that's fine. Uh, It's good for Scottish tourism, that's for sure. But as this viewer, me, I wish that there was a little bit more. So I can only give it two and a half stars. And I guess, you know, if there's one notable aspect about Edie is that it makes me want to check out more of Kevin Kevin Guthrie's work because I think he is fantastic here. Hong Kong Confidential, a podcast with Jules Hannaford, is designed to educate and entertain my audience. It's an interview-style show where many topical social issues are discussed and personal stories are shared. The podcast can be inspiring, confronting, harrowing and at times hilarious. All of the stories have uplifting messages. We all need to be heard to heal and listening to the experiences of others can often help the rest of us deal with whatever life has to throw at us. Find Hong Kong Confidential on Ozcast Network at www.ozcastnetwork.com. Hong Kong Confidential is also available on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher and YouTube and anywhere that you can find your podcasts. Check out Hong Kong Confidential today. night nanny is they take care of the baby at night so mom and dad can get some sleep i don't want a stranger in my house it's like a lifetime movie where the nanny tries to kill the family and the mom survives and she has to walk with a cane at the end get over yourself mom what's wrong with your body Hello, I'm Telly. I'm here to take care of you. 
Finally, we have Tully, which is the third collaboration between director Jason Reitman and writer Diablo Cody, who previously worked on the Oscar-winning film Juno, which uh, nabbed Diablo Cody an Oscar, and also Young Adult, which is possibly one of my favorite films, which I think is just a masterpiece. I, I absolutely adore Young Adult a lot. So it's great to see that the combination of Diablo Cody, Jason Reitman, and actress Charlize Theron are back together working again with Tully, which is a superb, beautiful film. It is one of the best films of the year so far. It is is a stunning, stunning film. And I think it's beautiful because the, the three films, Juno, Young Adult, and Tully, all kind of make this triptych of motherhood in different ways. So with Juno, you have Juno recognizing that, hey, maybe even though she could have an abortion, maybe she should put her child up for adoption and then allow somebody else who is less fortunate than she is uh, to be able to have a child and give that child a, a future. That in itself is really beautiful, and I really enjoy Juno. Young adult, on the other hand, Mavis Gary, she, you know, she lost a child. And we see the effects that that has on her as a person, and the effects that it has on her in her relationships, and how the loss of that child has almost stilted her, and she's unable to move on. And that's not really an excuse for some of her behaviors in that film, but is an understanding of how she, why she is the person that she is. And then finally in Tully, we have a mother of three and who's dealing with the, the impending arrival of a new child and she's dealing with the difficulties of a son who has, you know, is possibly on the uh, spectrum in some regards. Um, and she's just dealing with the difficulties of life in general and i really really love what this film does it allows Shelley's theron to really show how great an actress she can be because unfortunately there's been some less than stellar films in her recent filmography i'm i'm thinking of fast and furious 8 and uh, uh atomic blonde as well which you know i've really struggled to show her case what a great actress Charlize theron actually is but here you know with the dialogue that diablo cody writes is just just so wonderful just brilliant and, you know, Charlize Theron wouldn't be much if she didn't have a great supporting cast as well to help her out. In particular, Mackenzie Davis, who I haven't seen all that much. And really, I've been told that I really need to hop on to watching Hold and Catch Fire because she's supposed to be fantastic in that. But she plays the role of Tully. And, you know, she does the fantastic supporting role brilliantly. I think that she does a, a really great job. And... You know, it, it takes some real talent to be able to outshine somebody like Shirley Saron, who is a great actress. She really is. But Mackenzie Davis manages to do just that in some of her scenes. I think she is really, really wonderful here. And, you know, I know we're only halfway through the year and yeah, okay, maybe Oscar talk is uh, inappropriate, but I would really love to see Mackenzie Davis getting a supporting actress nomination because I think she's wonderful here. But I also thought that Patton Oswalt deserved a Supporting Actor nomination for Young Adult because he is superb in that film. 
Uh, also superb is Mark Duplass and Ron Livingston as uh, you know brother and uh, husband to Marlo, who is Charlize Theron's character. The kids are also great as well. But overall, Tully is just a really beautiful film. And it's a beautiful film in interesting ways. So my sister recently gave birth to a wonderful nephew. And, you know, that's really, really fantastic. And it's really changed my perspective on life in some regards. But when I went and saw Tully and then I showed her the trailer to Tully, which has a scene where uh, Milo has expressed a whole bunch of uh, breast milk and she set it on the counter to uh, put away for when it's next needed and uh, the bag falls over. Milk goes everywhere. Well, my sister bursts into tears. And for me, that's just a slightly amusing moment, uh, you know, in, in the trailer and in the film in itself. Um, however, there is an emotional depth to the, the what you know goes into creating a bag of breast milk. I know it sounds silly, but there is an emotional aspect to all of that. You put so much work into it, and it's all gone. And I think what I love about this film is it provides the context to crying over spilt milk. It's not just spilt milk. There's a lot that goes into that. There's a lot that goes into being a mother. And goes into being a parent, and you know I'll never know what it likes to what it's like to be a mother, but it's through films like Tully that I get a greater understanding of that, and a, a greater respect as well for mothers around the world. And you know a lot has been said about a certain uh, plot development about three quarters of the way through the film, but I think the film needs that plot development to occur for it to really, really hit home. And, you know, while I wasn't an emotional mess when I uh, left this film, I do feel that on subsequent viewings, it's really going to hit hard. I think this is a really, really beautiful piece of work. And as I mentioned, it is one of the best films that I've seen this year. I think it is really, really, really great. It's still showing out in cinemas in Australia, and I believe it's probably still showing out in cinemas in America as well. Uh, so do head along and go and see it if you haven't already seen it. Um, and if you haven't already seen it, and you haven't already seen Young Adult or Juno, please check them out as well. They're the films that I would recommend alongside Tully. Make it a trilogy. Watch Juno, then watch Young Adult, and then watch Tully, because they are all fantastic. And, you know, Jason Reitman may not be a perfect director all of the time, but he does certainly uh, manage to tick the box with some really, really interesting women characters in a lot of his films. Now, I haven't seen Labor Day, so I can't comment on Kate Winslet's character there. But, you know, with Up in the Air, with Juno, with Tully, with Young Adult, they're four films that have really, really great, fascinating, interesting female characters. And I really enjoy that about him as a director. I, I appreciate that quite a lot. So I'm, I'm keen to see where he continues to go from here and whether the relationship that he has with Diablo Cody and writing, you know, directing her scripts that she writes so brilliantly, um, you know, whether that continues because I think that he works at his best when he's with this particular writing. And, you know, I think that Diablo Cody's writing works at the best uh, when it's, you know, writing for Jason Reitman. 
I really appreciate her as a writer. And, you know, <laughs> she directed one film which was poorly received, but I quite enjoy it. And that is called Heaven. And I, I think that's a really, really uh, unfairly disliked film. But it's a sweet little film. It's good enough. And it has a, a nice performance from Russell Brand, which I found really interesting. Uh, Julianne Huff is also quite good in it too. And Octavia Spencer is also good as well. So if you're feeling super adventurous and don't mind giving a uh, average film a, a shot, give Heaven a shot because it's uh, I quite like it. But Tully, again, repeating myself, one of the best films of the year. An easy five stars. Uh, I really, really love this film a lot. And what else do I love from 2018? Well, 2018 has been a really good year for cinema. It has been some really, really interesting films. And unfortunately, because I'm based in Australia, the some of the quirks of uh, living in Australia are that you know the films that are big in the previous year in america or maybe oscar nominated or whatever uh don't always hit until this year so i always go on australian film releases so that's why a film like phantom thread or the shape of water is on my list of being uh, some of the best films of the year so far they are both really really brilliant films and phantom thread you know i think it is possibly paul thomas anderson's best film I know it's a big call. He's done a lot of great work. And, you know, my favorite film of all time is Magnolia. But there's something about Phantom Thread which I think hits so well. The writing, the acting, the directing. It is just a very mature film from an already very mature filmmaker. And it's something that's very different as well. It feels very human. Not saying that his previous films aren't very humanistic. But there's something that is really, really really human about Phantom Thread. And maybe it's Daniel Day-Lewis's great performance, but I think it's possibly Vicky Creeps who is just stunning in that film. So that's one of the best films of the year so far. Uh, also Tally, which I've already mentioned, and Sweet Country, which is going to be my favorite film of 2018. Uh, there is simply no doubt about it. It is a masterpiece of cinema. Warwick Thornton is the one of the great directors that Australia's got. Uh, he's done two previous films, We Don't Need a Map, which is a great documentary. I highly recommend seeking that out. And Samson and Delilah from all that time ago, way back in 2009. And I'll play the interview that I did with Warwick Thornton in a moment, and you'll hear why there was a bit of a delay in between Samson and Delilah and Sweet Country. But there's something so really important about Sweet Country. We don't see this kind of story told from an Indigenous perspective all that often. And that's heartbreaking. You know, we really, really should see this kind of story told. We really need to see these stories explored, not from a white man's perspective, but from somebody who has lived with the history of the injustices that have occurred on the First Nations of Australia. And... You see that through every centimetre, through through every second of Sweet Country. A few other films which I really like as well. Love, Simon, I thought was really lovely and really good. So I recommend seeking that out. And another film as well, which is really kind of uh, difficult to see because of distribution. It's not going to be screening in a cinema near you. Uh, but if you're in Melbourne, it will be screening at Acme. And if you're in Perth, when Revelation Film Festival is on, then it is one of the films that is screening at Revelation Film Festival. Mark my words, this session that is screening at Revelation will sell out. So get a ticket. And that is the film Terra Nullius. 
goes for under an hour. It's directed by Soda Jerk. It is a superb film. And it's a film which I probably think that it does pay to have some understanding or knowledge of Australian cinema. It does pay to have an appreciation for Australian cinema when you go in to see it uh, because moments like where the characters from uh, Lucky Miles appear on the beach, the footage of that is interspliced with the climax of Romper Stomper. So Pando is getting beaten to, you know, oblivion in the surf as the refugees in Lucky Miles are climbing up on the beach. That's the first thing that they see in the context of Terra Nullius. Pauline Hansen is uh, spliced into footage of Mad Max as well, which is really, really quite darkly amusing. Terra Nullius is a really great film, and I'm glad that it exists because it's a really punk rock kind of explosion onto the scene and I, I hope that in some ways people get to see it a lot more than uh, you know being restricted to being seen in uh, Melbourne or at festivals because I think this is a really really superb film and just one of the best films of the year so there what I've really enjoyed in 2018 please let me know what you've enjoyed in 2018 head over to Twitter let me know the curb AU uh, hit, hit me up there let me know also head over to Facebook the Facebook page isn't active yet but that doesn't mean you can't like it the curb AU head over there hit a like let me know what your favorite films are of the year so far let's listen a little bit of the trailer for Sweet Country and we'll be back with the interview that I did earlier this year with director Warwick Thornton Where have you been? He tied me up. What? You mean he chained you up? What'd you do? Nothing. You see what happened? No, it was. Harry Marks is dead. Who's shot? Shot in the head. Did you see it? No. That black fella Sam killed him. You see it happen? Say it happened. No. It's a good beer. Nice. Other side. Yeah. The dark side, the other side. <laughs> uh, so thanks for sitting down and having a chat about your superb film. No worries, thank you. And as everybody, as you were saying before, you know, it's been getting a lot of praise. So I won't start off with a question about how you're feeling with all this this praise and all that kind of stuff. I want to start back at Radiance. Jesus. Which was you know growing up for me was one of my favorite films cool and certainly one of the films which blue in the hour yeah it's a brilliant film it's a great film and my exposure to indigenous cinema through that way was great i turned 26 on that movie i had my 26th birthday on that movie yeah and it was the first film that you shot as well is that right uh feature yeah 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 feature film so I want to know how your journey has been, what you've learned since doing Radiance to coming to Sweet Country. Um, never trust a drug dealer. 
or always delete after you talk to them. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah. What have I learned? God. Um, but story is everything. That's the real truth of it. Yeah. You know? If you don't have a good story, don't expect anything to, you know. You can still, it still might get made, but don't expect longevity or, you know. Sure. You know, it's, un, it's about story. It's about, that's the most empowering thing. Um, and, you know, a good idea isn't enough. Yeah. You know, yeah. it needs to be whole. Yeah. And you need to have a fire inside you to make it a real reason for being. A reason that's more than ego or finance, you know. It needs to be, what can I do to help society, you know, and change or or look or think, you know. I think that they're really important things, you know. Because we don't get access to the screen very often and I find yeah. I find that um, it's not a right, the, the screen, you know, as a director, it's not a right. So how do you mean, what do you mean by it's not a right? Like well, it's you got something to say, you know what I mean? It's sort of, it's just, you, you have to, you have to really, you know, since this country, we don't make very many movies and we shouldn't squander it. We yes. shouldn't squander it on popcorn. The, the stories that yeah. we, we want to tell about our country. So what do you think that Australian cinema needs to do to tell more Australian stories? Because one get of the things... Yeah. <laughs> fucking remaking old stories to start with. Yeah, we don't need a Stormboy remake. We don't no, need... <laughs> you know, a good friend of mine directed that, but it's like, well, yeah. you know, some of the, 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 but we should be talking to the producers about that. It's like, come on, guys. It's, you know, it's sort of like, when, you know, and, and another good friend of mine's management producer is about to make um, another Ned Kelly. Yeah. And it's like, you know what, there's so many amazing stories out there that are really important that, that people, the world... Uh, the world, let alone Australia, don't even have no idea, don't even know about. You know what I mean? And they're, you know, and they're just as empowering as a Ned Kelly or a Sweet Country. You know, and we should be. We, I think that that's we should be looking at stuff that way. That makes sense. Yeah. So, how important for you as a filmmaker is it to tell Australian history? Because one of the things which I love about Sweet Country, besides its the visual power that you, you've got on screen, which is phenomenal thank you but the history that you provide in the film as well you know there's glimpses of the story of the kelly gang which mm -hmm. i don't think i recalled actually seeing in a feature film mm -hmm. you know any footage of essentially the first film so how important is it for you to tell that kind of history um you know it's it, it's, it's more important the truth in a way a reality base you know if you're going to make hard films through that i you know i make you know samson delilah and this one they're both just as hard as each other um but for me, it's it's about the truth in a way, and giving people access to stuff that they're not. The education system, curriculum's really failed Australia in in what our history actually is and how how, how this country was actually built. Mm. And sadly, it's 2018, and I'm trying to. It's, it's just not. It's not. A, it's not. A, it's not a. You know. It's not. A, it's not a piece of curriculum with an exam at the end. This movie, but I'm still am trying to teach Australia bits about our history that actually are not, they actually haven't had access to, hasn't been talked about before. And it's very late in this country's life to be actually talking about this now. But someone has to do it. Well, I think the film that comes to mind for me that is kind of 
similar to yours is Chant of Jimmy Blacksmith, which is a great film. And unfortunately, just like Sweet Country, that both are very relevant to today, which yeah. is devastating to see that, you know, I shouldn't be watching this film and going, this kind of stuff is still occurring. Yeah, yeah. Right? So it's, it's powerful to see that. Yeah. What films did you look back on as an inspiration as a filmmaker? Oh, God, I don't know. Or filmmakers, maybe Rachel Perkins, for example. Or... No, she's a dickhead. <laughs> no, I love her, she's awesome. Um, um, I don't know, they, they all come and go in a way. You know, every, every director's guilty of making a brilliant film and a really shit one. You know, and so it ebbs and flows. And if I say some name today, it'll be different tomorrow. Sure. Depending on who, who I am tomorrow, which split personalities rocked up. You know, when I wake up, um, I don't know. You know, there's there's all sorts. You know, Malik has always been a, a good, you know, a good solid hitter. Kubrick, you know, this is wonderful big names like that there. Michaud, you know, mm. made some amazing stuff. He's made some crap too, you know. So it's it's kind of, but Malik's made crap. Kubrick's made crap. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of it just depends how many beers you've had. <laughs> what kind of sleep you had to what kind of film or director, you know. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. So I wonder where's the, the difference? Lawrence Horton's made crap. No, I disagree with that <laughs> wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. And especially, I mean, you know, people will think that you've been quiet in between the years in Samson and Delilah and Sweet yeah, Country. Yeah, yeah. But you've been quite busy. Yeah, know? I was in rehab. Yeah, and you did why you don't need a map as well. Yeah, we don't need a map in the yeah. dark side. And I shot sapphires for Wayne Blair. And what else did I shoot? I shot another. I was in Bulgaria with Wayne Blair. We did this film called um, September of Shiraz. Uh, yeah, no, I've been busy. Yeah, yeah. been busy. And I've been writing too. So there's a whole lot of other movies that are you yeah. know, up my sleeve, like Aces and Poker Game kind of thing. So cheating. Yeah. <laughs> What's been the? Has there been pressure on you? since Samson and Delilah in making films? Well, only pressure from people who want to make money out of me and sure. as soon as they want to do that I just tell them to get fucked. You know what I mean? I just laugh at them. You know? Yeah. If I make five really good films in my whole career well that's better than 20 shit ones as far as I'm concerned. So you know if they take they take their time they take their time. Yeah. Well you're off to a good start. That's the main thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where do you differ as a director versus a cinematographer? Because you've done a lot of lensing for different people, and yeah. they all look stunning. Yeah. You know, that, and you know, not to say that your films don't look stunning; they do. They're even more impressive. But well, I'm cin- just curious. The cinematographer's like the superhero, mm-hmm. and then directing's like the, the guy who makes the gadgets for the superhero. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> he does all the hard work. Behind. Yeah. It's like Batman, and um, what's Batman's? Um, Oh, like Robin and no, no, Al- Alfred and Alfred. Yeah, who's <laughs> out there tinkering on the Batmobile every time Batman trashes it? You know, it's kind of that kind of weird world. Directing's really, really hard. Cinematography is just really good fun, and you play with all the toys. Yeah, and what, like, what drives is it? What what drives you as a cinematographer? I guess is the word I'm looking for. You know what? I, th- I think my ego is the cinematographer. Sure. And you know, the reality is the direction you know what I mean uh, what drives me as a cinematographer is um, annoying other cinematographers by <laughs> doing pretty shots you know which is weird you know what I mean but there is it's, it's you know it's, it's, it's cinematography is this massive weird ego-y kind of artistic auteur slightly crazy but mm. you know genius 
yeah. you know, specimen of humanity who, who should have become a painter with oil rather than, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Are you that good? So, but then, <laughs> then there's the director who's just like nuts and bolts, hard work, grinding, you know, blood yeah. on the fingertips kind of, yeah. So... Whereas, that, you know, the cinematographer's like running around in a dress going, I'm a lady! <laughs> well, one of the things which you've mentioned about Sweet Country is you didn't want it from like an eagle eye. You wanted it from... Yeah, it had to be, you know, we had to be grounded, the camera had to be grounded slightly under the eye line so we'd never, never um, dictated with a cheap little cinematic tools like, you know, under eye line empowered, mm. uh, above the eye line disempowered. We didn't, I didn't want to play any of that kind of crap. So it's it pretty well, except for Philomac, we look down on Philomac occasionally in the film, but um, under everyone's eye lines, so we don't, as, 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 a, as a director, I don't, or as a cinematographer, I'm not judging who's better than anybody else in yeah. the film. And no helicopter shots, no crazy drones. Drones are dated, you know, you know they're sort of, I, I find them very, very painful nowadays because, you know, we can't, as an audience member, if you want to make a really re- reality-based film, um, well, we don't turn into eagles in reality and look down on, you know what I mean? So I just wanted the film to be, we are there at that time, in that place, you know, kind of cinema. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah, just, and it's simple, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's not much. That's not much. It's not, not like some great auteur idea. It's just, <laughs> just really basic kind of tiny little things that help yeah. make a film a little bit, just a little bit stronger. Yeah. But it's, it's something which... You know, the average cinema goer may not notice, but it, it helps strengthen yeah. the film quite a bit. And it's the most important thing is it's not noticed. Yeah. For me, as a cinema, the best cinema, cinema, the best cinematography I've ever seen, I've never seen because I was too busy watching the movie. You know what I mean? As soon as you, as soon as you go, wow, how did they get that shot? Oh my god. Well, suddenly, as an audience member, I'm out of the film. I'm not in the film. I'm not in the story anymore. I'm, I'm back in the cinema sitting next to. You know the guy with the popcorn. That's you it. Know? And that's kind of that's the bad that's bad cinematography. You yeah. know when it's that. You know when it when it is the ego, alter. I'm a lady kind of in a dress kind of where it's all an ego. Well, it's got to be high out in a dress in the, the yeah. middle of the desert and stuff like that as well. No, absolutely. You know why can't <laughs> men wear dresses? That's ridiculous. Oh, it's we perfectly should be fine. It's bloody. It's the hottest country in the world. You know why couldn't we? Why aren't we allowed to wear dresses? There's no reason. I mean, having nothing underneath has got to be nice and refreshing. I can absolutely. imagine. Absolutely, I'm sure it would be. You know, and it's kind of it, it is. You know, it's sort of. So it's that's cinematography to me. Yeah. You know, it's it's incredibly it's it's it, but it is all to do with your ego, and, and part of your ego is to pull it all back and hide it all, and it's really important to um, to not show, not to go. Hey, here's a trick I've learnt. Mm. You know what I mean? That's the worst thing you can do in cinema. It needs to be all driven by story. It all, you know, when I I have a theory and I, I try and do it every time, but you, you have to fight it. Um, but every time I read a script or every time I write a script I have to actually erase how to direct how I directed the last movie because I don't want to bring all my tricks or all my crap from the last movie onto this because this one every script should tell you how to be the director of it rather than you walk on and go this is how I direct and I'm going to change the script to suit me as a director See, well then you're killing the story the story should tell you how to direct and you have to reinvent yourself as a director every time you make a movie so, with a great script like what you're working with here, how do you combine everything together with casting, great script, obviously your direction? Yeah. 
because it's a perfectly cast film with a bunch of unknown actors as well and yeah. really pivotal roles. Well, you start at, you start at uh, A and you get to Z, I guess, you know. It's just, you know, the script has some problems, so you start working on them. You start building the script, um, you know, for a final, for the screen. Sure. The realities of the screen. Um, and at the same time, you've, you've got a wish list of actors, so you send it off to them. And they either come back with, they can, they love it and they can do it, or they can, they come back with, they're, they're too busy, or they come back with, they love it, but they want a whole lot of changes, and you've got to balance all that kind of ideas, you know what I mean? Um, and then you, you've got the logistics of the location, and yeah, so you sort of potter through it. You know? yeah. 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 So, we're in 2018 now, and yeah. your film's opening up the year as one of the best reviewed Australian films around. Yeah. Most importantly, it's one of the best you know, kind of flagship indigenous cinema for Australian. Yeah. And I'm curious for you as an indigenous filmmaker, yeah. where you see indigenous films going forward from here? You know, like, it, it is it's an interesting one, because, you know, I can give up directing or cinematography, but I can't give up being Aboriginal. Mm-hmm. can't wash that one out of my hair, you know? It's, um, you know, what does make an indigenous filmmaker, you know, what is it? And I'm still, I'm still looking for that. I'm still struggling with that. Yeah. And I want it to be something unique. And I want it to be, I want it to be something special. But you know, when I started out, you couldn't. There's no way in the world you could tell the difference between me and another director, black or white. You know what I mean? Because I basically was emulating the masters that I thought they were, that I believed in. You sure. Know what I mean? So well, that, that's not really indigenous, is it? You know, so but I've slowly, and it probably might, it might be the last film that actually that I ever make before I die, will be the one. Well, maybe I won't even ever get there, but I am looking and trying to strive for what is an indigenous. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, I think things like getting rid of the music, the score in yeah. the film, is yeah. me slowly recognizing something indigenous. I want to hear. I don't want to hear the cue for you to cry. I don't want to create that cue. I want you to cry on your own merits of what you believe as an audience member is cryable yep. in this movie. I don't want to put that cue in there. I want you to listen to the most amazing soundtrack in the world, which is the desert yeah. and the sound of the wind in the, in, in, in the, in the pines and the, the crunch of the, the, the foot on the sand and the cricket. You know, that's... That's what I want, and maybe that's where this indigenous director is coming from, is that the sound of the, the desert and that connection that you're making when you're watching the movie is much more important than a, a hundred violins. So that's maybe where I'm starting to learn to become what is an indigenous uh, filmmaker. Yeah. But there should be more than that. But you know what I mean? So, but that, is, that, is that what it is? It, I think that's where it's starting to come from. And I'm practicing and I'm, you know, yeah. doctor says I'm getting better. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> well, I think it's a fantastic film. And Thank one of the you. things which I absolutely love, we'll wrap up in a second because you've got a Q&A to go to, but one of the things I do love, as you were mentioning, is the sound of Australia. Yeah. And I don't think we've seen that in Australian cinema before at the, in the way that you yeah. show in the film. The sound I design put, is I stunning. I the picnic... Well, the sound of Australia for a while there was a pan pipe. Oh, yeah. From Picnic <laughs> and Hanging Rock, which is, yeah. which is very haunting. I love yeah. that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've never worked out... You know what I mean? 
how they got that matching up with that particular story. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. strange, strange way it yeah. worked. Because, yeah. you know, because it's a mystery. But in a strange way, it's the most horrible connection you'll ever hear in your entire life. <laughs> well, that's it. Yeah. So the last question. Well, they're, they're, making, they're making that again, aren't they? They are a TV series. Yeah, I wonder if they're going to put, you know, what, 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 what's the soundtrack of Australia in the TV series for Picking the Hanger Up? We'll see. Is, we'll, there, is we'll there too much pan flute? Well, <laughs> is there going to be pan flute? Is that, is that the, you know what I mean? Are they going to be that close to the bone of um, making a remake? Anyway, that's going to be funny to watch. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah. So, last question, which I ask everybody who I interview. Damn you. Which is a question about what Australian film you recommend people seek out. Um, it doesn't have to be the best, it's just something that you really appreciate. Oh, God, here I am. <laughs> My ex wife's movie. I love it. And, and nobody went and watched it, so you should all go and watch it. Bastards. Which one was that? Here I am. Uh, set in Adelaide. Uh, it's cool. a fantastic film. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. yeah. I picked it up on DVD when I was in Melbourne a few years ago. Yeah. So I absolutely loved it. Yeah, go and watch Here I Am. It's beautiful. Yeah. That's an Australian film. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. Cool. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Cheers, Bob. Cheers. No worries. That voice you hear right there is Kira Peru as she sang the opening to Earthboy's cover of Meg Mac's Roll Up Your Sleeves on Triple J a few years ago. She really has one heck of a stunning voice and she's my artist highlight this week. I think that she is really somebody who uh, will blow your socks off. I've heard her live a couple of times and I've always appreciated her, uh, but she's never really uh, struck out on her own. She had a song while ago called Tension, which is really good, really, really fantastic song. Highly recommend seeking that out if you haven't heard it before. On top of that, she's also done guest vocals on Paul Kelly's The Merry Soul Sessions album, which is a really great album, as well as Earthboy's last album too, which is really fantastic. And as mentioned, she did a guest spot on Roll Up Your Sleeves, as well as Daughter of the Light, which is a beautiful, beautiful song. Kira is an Indigenous singer from Cardiff in New South Wales and is part of the LGBTQI community as well. And I absolutely love her voice and I think you're going to love her voice with her new single which is Molotov. I won't play the whole song. I highly recommend you head over to her website which uh, is... I'll stick a link in the show notes. But basically if you do a search for Kira Peru, K-I-R-A-P-U-R-U you'll be able to find it right there and buy it. 
you know, subscribe to whatever you need to subscribe to to make sure some money goes back to her. Uh, but listen to this song. It is a killer track. So that is the voice of Kira Peru. Her song Molotov is a killer track. It's been on repeat on my uh, music player for the past week or so. I've absolutely loved it and I cannot wait to hear her full album whenever that hits. Apparently it's going to be sometime either the end of this year or beginning of 2019. I keep on thinking it's 2017. Uh, But yeah. I love it. I absolutely love it. And then go and pick up Tension as well if you like what you heard too. Uh, And listen to her. And if you have a radio station that you can request songs for, uh, request Molotov because it's good. You'll like it. I like it. And that's the main thing. Uh, And I hope you like this show. This has been the first episode of Not A Knife. Um, I don't know if they're all going to be about this long, but it all depends on what I want to talk about and who I get to talk to and stuff like that. I've got some really interesting interviews coming up. Had a great chat with Clayton Jacobson, who directed Kenny and his new film Brothers Nest, which is a really, really superb film. Highly recommend heading along to go and see that when it hits screens in Australia on June 21st. I'll have the interview up sometime next week, along with a review of that and Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, too. Uh, So that's coming up on the future grapevine. Other than that, look, I really appreciate you having listened to this first episode. Um, Again, repeating myself over and over again. I'll try and get better at this, I promise. But follow me on social media, The Curb AU on Twitter and The Curb AU on Facebook. And uh, keep a track of the website, thecurb.com.au, where you can uh, hopefully see future episodes of this particular show, as well as written reviews and stuff like that. That relaunches on the 1st of July. So uh, if you have a calendar, feel free to mark it in your calendar. If not, I will bother you on social media about it when it goes live and make sure to also head over to oscast.com.au i believe it is uh where you can listen to other great shows like uh this particular one uh, the yeager day podcast apple slice podcast or you heard an ad for hong kong confidential which is one of the best shows on the network um certainly outclasses chumps like me uh go over and listen to that particular show because it's fantastic anyway Thank you very much. And as they say on The Simpsons... I see you've played Knifey Spoonie before. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Get great fall savings on all your home care and entertaining needs during the fall home care event at Safeway. Head into Safeway and get deals on products like Clorox disinfecting wipes, Swiffer wet mopping cloths, Lysol all-purpose cleaner, Swiffer wet jet mopping pads, Mr. Clean multi-surface cleaner, or Lysol power toilet bowl cleaner. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local store for more details. Offers expire October 31st. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary.